Hello friends, I'm Amanda Barr. And I'm Rebecca Lou Brennan, and welcome to Dance Principles United, the podcast. Together, we are passionate about helping studio owners with the business of running their studio. Join us as we talk everything from marketing systems, studio culture, motherhood, life, and everything in between. This is the Dance Principles United podcast. Good morning, podcast land. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of the Dance Principles United podcast. I'm super excited to be joined today by Ali Phillips from BAM Dance. Good morning, Ali. Hi. Well, actually, it's, it's evening here, but, yeah. you know, good morning in Australia. I was going to say, <laughs> even though Ali sounds like she's Australian, which she is, she's calling yeah. in from Canada this evening for her. Um, first of all, Ali, what we'd like to do with guests that come on is tell us a little bit about you and your dance journey. Well, thank you for asking and thank you for having me. I love talking about myself, so this is awesome. So I think like a lot of, I guess maybe dance studio owners and business owners, I started really little. I think I was just a little dancer out of the womb and I don't know, just like, just loved music and loved movement. And my mum put me in ballet classes, three, three or four, I think, and didn't love ballet loved jazz like just like give me all the glam give me all like the jazz hands and all of it and just yeah grew up in a dance studio parallel to schooling um my studio was beautiful really community-based uh and it was my second home and did that throughout primary school high school uh and then yeah the rest is kind of history after that yeah, amazing. And that's what we so often talk about so many of the rooms we're in with dance studio owners. They have that same journey, right? Dance was was their life growing up. They had that such special connection to their own studio. We always talk about, you know, when we're dealing with a client, like, can you imagine if you had a bad experience walking into your first dance class or your mum did, how much different your life would be? That's why we always talk with our studio owners about making sure that everybody that walks in that door gets that five-star rock star treatment. Because, yeah, people's, yeah. people's lives could have taken very different paths, right? Well, I think it's probably the reason for people's, I mean, I, I know a lot of dancers have turned their pain into that purpose. There's a lot of trauma that happens in dance studios. And I think we hope that it doesn't happen. And I'm also, I admire dancers who have gone on to create different studios. And I see a lot of them in Australia and a lot of them with my clients too. I just, yeah, I, I admire st- dancers who have been able to turn that into something really beautiful for the next generation of dancers too. Amazing. And now your focus and passion is BAM Dance. Can you tell us a little bit more about BAM Dance? Yes. So BAM is an international dance organization. We run dance classes for kids, teens and adults with disabilities. Uh, Short version is I didn't have any experience with disability growing up. I do not have any, I didn't have any proximity to disability. Um, I wanted to dance. My sister um, started a community center that had an interest in special needs. And during my high school years, I used to volunteer at this dance party that they had once a month and I loved it. And I think what I loved about it was it didn't feel like this space where I needed to go and help these people with disabilities. It was a dance party. I love to dance. I love to just rock out. And so it was this really beautiful space of dance at the forefront. And then when I was in my final year of high school, she asked me if I wanted to start a structured dance class for some of the people that came to this dance party. And I honestly was like, yeah, okay, 
Like it really, it, it wasn't like, oh my God, this is my purpose. This is what I've been waiting for. It was like, well, yeah, yeah, I'll just do that while I, while I become a dancer. And uh, yeah, I just remember starting this class at 17 and being like, whoa, like this, this feels like special. I don't, I, I don't, I didn't realize in the moment that what BAM would become is what it is now. Um, I just knew it felt really good. And I feel for the families, they were like, there's nothing like this. So let's, let's go all in. Yeah. Amazing. And look, that's what we are like hugely passionate about Amanda Beck and I, that we know that so many of our best business ideas, we are, we know ourselves that we're executors. We're not the type of people that get these, you know, massively structured business plans in place. We have great ideas and we jump in and execute and we sort of let it grow around us. Is that fair to say that's sort of what what BAM, yes. how BAM started and, and has, has grown out from there? Yeah, I think what the I think what the lesson in that I mean there's so many I think there's a really beautiful lesson in saying yes to invitations even if you don't know where they're gonna go. Yes. And I think in, at 17, I had no idea, but I said yes, just because it was something I was like, well, you never know. And I think people close themselves off to just invitations that don't feel like they are the thing that's going to get them on the path they want to go on. And sometimes you can't plan. And so it's a bit of combination of both saying yes to an invitation and then figuring it out along the way. Yeah. And I think um, especially is what when you're starting out your business and when you've got sort of lots of time, especially if you're, you're a younger studio owner listening to this, um, when you've got more time saying yes to more things, like you said, just gives you so many more opportunities to, to see and try different things. We know, you know, in like our phase of life with our three kids, sometimes we have to say no to more things than we'd like to. But yeah, just, just saying yes, especially when you're starting out, is something that's super important to give you more opportunities, right? Yeah, because you haven't built the trust muscle yet. Like at 17, I had no idea what I wanted to do. All my friends were going out partying, to be honest. And here I was like starting this business. And I think you have to say yes to invitations to know which ones feel aligned and which ones don't. But in you won't be able to build that trust muscle unless you're in the arena and you're going, you, you, you're kind of going for it. So yeah, I mean, I was, I, I've, I think it's unique. I don't know how many 17 year olds when they start something are continue, like I'm doing the same thing that I did at 17 that I am at almost 32. I think that's kind of unique, but I also have learned so many things along the way. My leadership has changed drastically and there are things that have branched off from it. So I could never have thought that that would have been possible. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And so um, for studios, because obviously your passion is um, helping studio owners, or one of the passions is helping studio owners um, start more inclusive or dance classes for, for students with disabilities. Um, what are what are some of the things that you see? Because it is something that a lot of studios shy away from. I think you mm-hmm. know, just out of sometimes a little bit, just almost like a little bit scared of it or worried about mm-hmm. doing the wrong thing, offending things like that. What do mm-hmm. you see is yeah, the main roadblocks for for studio owners? who don't start these sorts of classes. Exactly what you said. Oh, well, there you go. I don't want to, I, yeah, we're done. See ya. <laughs> yeah, exactly what you said. I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. I'm scared to get it wrong. What if I offend someone? Yeah. And, and, and you know what? Like if, uh, it, you know, 
if that's how you're making decisions in one aspect of your life, chances are you're making it across multiple areas of your life, first of all. Yes. Right? Because we're thinking about how others are going to perceive us or we're worried that we're, we're not sure if we're going to get it right. Yeah. Well, what if we, what if we do? Yeah. Or what if the way that you do it is right for your community? Or what if it's about learning about your community? So that's the biggest thing that I find is the roadblock is people just don't know how to do it and are worried they're going to get it wrong. Um, and then I think the other one um, is that it's just not a priority. I think in the past couple of years, there's been more of a push for inclusion, yes. but disability tends to be a thing that just gets pushed down further and further and further on the priority list. Maybe once again, because the proximity is is too vast, right? We don't know someone, or it's someone that knows someone, or you know, we don't know if any of our any of our kids have siblings with disabilities, or we've seen one and we're not sure if it's going, you know, to we're not sure if it's going to be a, a profitable stream of revenue. There's yep. just so many like questions and unknowns and uncertainty around it that I think people just dig their head in the sand. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm sure we could probably sit here and talk, or you could talk <laughs> definitely for a few hours about all the benefits of offering these types of classes in our studios bring. What are just some of those benefits that having these types of classes in our studios or that you see um, studios get? Yeah. Well, I guess, first of all, just to call spade a spade, it's a revenue stream. Like you, you're going to make money at your studio if you create inclusive dance classes because you're literally tapping into another um, another community. So the story that there's no money in it, get rid of it. It's not helping you. And actually it's doing you a, a hindrance, first of all. Second of all, it is a space for families that have kids with disabilities to feel like they belong. You know, when I was three and my mom saw that I was a little dancer, you know, she was like, oh, I'm going to put her in a dance class. Obviously, there are financial barriers to dance. I'm not saying that that we didn't have, there are no other barriers. Um, but my mom was like, yeah, I'll put her in dance class. Let me look up the local dance studio. Let's just put her in. For a lot of families that have kids with disabilities who, actually, who, who present similar, like they love music, they love dance, that barrier is there. They constantly are up against, okay, well, this teacher's not qualified or the studio doesn't feel like they're ready or there's not enough numbers or whatever it is. So having a space where this family can feel like they belong, that there's kids with disabilities, whether you build integrated or exclusive classes, uh, inclusive classes or exclusive classes, that child that loves to dance is going to be able to exercise their creativity. They're going to be able to express themselves. They're going to be able to interact socially. Um, and then for the kids without disabilities, how important is it to become acquainted with people who are different to you, yes. uh, who dance with dancers who look different than you, their bodies are different. Um, what can that do for a child? Empathy, compassion, understanding, patience, like the social emotional skills, let alone the physical, I could talk about constantly. <laughs> yes. And like, it's one of those things, obviously, you know, um, thinking about inclusivity has come such a long way since I was in school, thankfully, uh, and we've yeah. obviously still got a long way to go. Um, but would I be right in saying that, you know, you're talking about um, the parents of these students um, being so supportive. I feel like I don't have much exposure to, to that, that community, but from what I see, I feel like um, if you're there supporting them and, and offering them a great product, they become your biggest champions and marketers for your studio, essentially. 
Yeah, I get. Are you talking about the studio owners or the parents? The parents. Yeah, I I definitely think so. I've I've created really beautiful relationships with the parents over the years. I mean, my business model is that we go into already established dance spaces, yep. um, and so we create. And and what's really beautiful about that is the parents create really beautiful connections with the studio owners. Um, and I just not only do they become champions of the of the studio themselves, but I think they're just that's what community is. Right, like community looks really different. You're building a space where people feel a sense of belonging. Of course, they're going to come back. Of course, they're going to be champions for your space. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's say we've got lots of studio owners listening to this podcast and let's say they're thinking, yes, this is actually something I've been thinking about for a while. I've been wanting to offer um, inclusive classes or classes for students with disability for a long time, but I just haven't taken that leap. What would be um, what would be some some um, options you'd give them to to start to 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 get these classes up and running? Yeah, I mean, be in my space. So I offer a monthly webinar, which is just the basics. It's a ninety minute webinar. Yeah. Uh, and each month we talk about a different topic from physical disabilities to cognitive disabilities to running hybrid and online classes to supporting parents to working and setting boundaries with support workers and volunteers to creating choreography to putting in them in performances to you know building a team of leaders so that's an option but then studios who have more are more ready to start you know i offer one-on-one support where i come in and i ask you you know so what is your community like what what have you done where are the untapped where's the untapped potential what are the other you know co-curricular activities who do have inclusive arms like have we have we collaborated have we gone into those spaces where are the schools what are where are these communities already you know moving and, and 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 kind of engaging in their community and what do they need in order to feel safe at your studio? Um, but I think it's just, I think the biggest thing is knowing that you're never going to be 100% ready. And if you wait until you're 100% ready, you will never be ready because there's always going to be things that are shifting. Yep. There's always going to be communities that are changing. And in between, like I really I really try and like say this to my clients too, between the point where you decide that you want to run inclusive classes and the point that you're ready, and trained and like feeling confident there are families just wishing that they could have a sense of belonging at your studio so when we when we wait to feel ready or to feel prepared first of all we're making it about ourselves which once again it's not about us it's about creating the space for our communities but second of all you will never be ready because there are always going to be students that are different there are going to always going to be environmental factors societal factors things are changing you're changing so just go for it i'm an open book come into my space i have a lot of knowledge and if i'm not the right person for you i have a plethora of other people just start go for it yep yeah love that love that and would i be right in saying that you know you're starting these classes if you're open and honest in your communication with the parents and be saying like i'm just starting this journey guys i'm super excited i'm probably going to make some mistakes along the way love your feedback please let me know um but yeah if, if you show your genuine excitement and passion for it they're gonna they're gonna they'll tell you like if you do something wrong or things like that like and it's okay like you all grow together I mean, right? yeah but exactly like that's such a lesson for life in general 
if you if your intention is to create an inclusive studio that is your genuine intention from your heart you want to create a space where any single person that wants to dance has the option to dance if they choose that's the only thing that matters because that's going to drive all your decisions and when you believe and you trust your intention you're more open than curious you're more open to asking questions you're not afraid to make mistakes you're not afraid to take accountability you're going to be way more uh you're not going to be so hard on yourself there's going to be room for growth so I, I think teachers listening and dance studios listening if you know in your heart that you are intentionally wanting to create an inclusive studio that gets to be more important and that that part of you that that is driven by that intention gets to be louder and in the driver's seat and the fear of getting it wrong just gets to take the back seat both of them can exist because the fear is also helpful and useful that's the part of us that we don't want to get it wrong and we don't want to be insensitive and it's beautiful if we didn't have that there would be problems right that would be a bit sociopathic but the fact that you know we can almost like turn the dial up on the intention and turn the dial down on the on the fear and move from that place and have support along the way. That's a, a recipe for success. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, in terms of, because I know like we don't have our studio anymore. Like I always have to keep adjusting my language after, you know, oh. 20 years of the, 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 in our studio, I keep saying in our studio. In our, but when we had our studio, I know one of the things, um, if we were going to bring in something like this that, our staff, again, from a place of love, that they were fantastic people, but probably just would have been a little bit, uh, I guess, concerned or worried themselves about not having um, enough skills or training to run these sorts of classes. So what sort of um, things do, do you guys offer in your teacher training and things like that to help um, teachers get prepared to, to run these classes? Yeah, the first thing I would say is I work with organisations that the leader has opt in already. So if the CEO, the leader, the principal, the director doesn't believe it or doesn't care or doesn't have the intention, then to be honest, it's really, really tricky, right? Like I can, I can train the teachers, but if the owner is disconnected and maybe I'm hoping that there's no one listening that's disconnected. If you're a part of this organization, then chances are you have it, you know, you love your studio, but I love when the studio principal, director, leader is in there with the teachers as well. So there's no disconnection. The things that we work on, honestly, the biggest one, confidence. Do you feel confident leading a space, welcoming any single person of any ability into your space? Like, And how we work with that is we actually do a lot of mindfulness work. We do a lot of reflecting. We do a lot of, okay, what am I making this mean? So if a student that's nonverbal is in your class and you ask them a question and they don't respond, what tends to happen is we start to personalize that. We start to internalize it. We go, what does this mean about me? And then when we start to think about what does this mean about me, we we shut ourselves off from openness and curiosity. We actually then get into the right and wrong and good and bad and the polarities of, okay, I'm a bad teacher because I can't engage this person. And so a lot of the work that I do is really getting clear on what are the stories that you're making up about what this situation means, whether or not there's a student in a wheelchair and they, uh, they look, they perceive, the teacher perceives their somatic cues as, oh, they're not enjoying it because we're doing some things with our legs and you know they feel like they're not included. So just there are so many stories that go through our teachers' minds and our dance teachers' minds that I a lot of the work that I'm doing comes from my coaching background is, is that true? When you believe that story to be true, what happens? Without the story, what do you do? And most of the time there's this 
most of the time there's this like freedom of, oh, I just have to give it a go. I just have to try it and then we'll see what happens. Amongst that, I give a lot of teaching tips and techniques, things like using repetition, things like using music as a way of like bookending the class, you know, creating really um, uh, directions of a class. So whether we face the students or whether we're in a circle, whether we're using mirrors, depending on your space, Um, things like transition times and you know, checking in at the beginning of your classes, being able to read the somatic cues of your dancers, uh, emotionally regulating yourself. Like I could go on. The list is like endless. Yeah, and look, it's one of those things from, um, I was saying to Ali before, I've never taught a dance class, but I do have a background in high school maths teaching. And whenever you do... training and things like that around um, you know, classes or inclusive classes, classes for the students with special needs, you find that when you go back into every single class you're teaching, that those learnings that you're having and that training you're getting there just filters through and makes every single class you teach so much better, right? Yes, 100%. I feel like you could just, you could literally just be the interviewer and the interviewee of this episode, I reckon. Um, Yeah, what's really interesting is that I started teaching people with disabilities first. Yes. So these are the dancers that I actually trained to be a teacher through because I started at 17 and then I did my education degree and then I started teaching kids and I found that when I taught kids all the skills that I had acquired from being able to facilitate inclusive classes it was just like I I had kids wrapped around my little finger I had parents of kids really engaged I had the classes that I taught for mothers were like wow this is like really fun I feel like as a teacher when you are able to run inclusive classes it feels like you like you should, first of all, be sweating at the end of the class. You should feel yep. like you have eyes around the circumference of your head. You should feel like you have octopus arms. You're everywhere at the same time and you're just engaged. You're doing it with them. You're being there. You're modeling. It's just the level of experience that you get when running inclusive classes. It is going to change every other class that you have. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um when what I loved you're talking about, because what we're super passionate about, Beck, Amanda, and I, and Dance Principles United, is um, helping studios be profitable, right? And you're talking yep. about, you know, like these classes. It's a, it's another great revenue stream as well. But I th- um, and, and we've had sort of lots of back and forths, um, gearing up for Expo and things like that. You've sent through some amazing videos, um, and I think something you mentioned was that sometimes people worry about how to market these classes. Again, probably out of that fear of offending, mm. things like that. What are what are some tips and tricks you have around marketing for, for these inclusive classes or just classes with disabilities? Yeah. Okay. Well, the first thing is, well, this, it's a kind of a deep question. It's like, who made up the rules? So what do you want to call the class, first of all? Yeah. And second of all, if that sounds weird or you're worried, who are you worried is who are you who are you getting in trouble from who who made up the rules that you have to say disability or you have to say disabled and you have to say neurodiverse or you have to say special needs there are no rules the only rule that i subscribe to is ask there are people with disabilities who say I want to be called a person with a disability. I want you to use person first language. There are other people with disabilities that say, I want to be, I want to be, um, I, I want you to use disabled person first. And I want you to call me a disabled person, right? Yeah. Like there's no rule when we get into the right and wrong of what we should call our classes or what we should market our classes. We are falling into a trap versus what feels good 
for me and my studio? Yep. How can I lead from a place of curiosity? How can I tap into the resources that I already have, whether that is a disabled dancer or whether that is a parent or whether that is a teacher? When we think, and also we're trapping ourselves when we think it has to like start and stay the same. Like if you run a business, you know that things are going to change. It can oh, yeah. change as quick as like a month, let alone, you know, 15 years. Yep. So there's no right or wrong way to market. You decide based on how your community feels, um, but just put it out there and see how yep. it goes. Yeah, absolutely love that. And that's like, like I keep saying, that's what we're so big on that so many, we see so many studio owners in all parts of their business get caught in that little analysis paralysis. And they think, oh, you know, what, and I think it's what sometimes what makes people such great dance teachers and choreographers is that attention to detail and level of perfectionism, but it can hold them back in so many parts of their business. And this is just another yeah. part of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's never going to yeah. be perfect. So sometimes we've just got to get it done is better than none is something we always yeah. subscribe to. Well, exactly. And then also just asking yourself, who made the rules? Yes, I love that. <laughs> Whose voice is that? Like there's no there's no rules and including inclusion. Yes. Including inclusion. There are no rules around inclusion. Inclusion looks different for everybody. Um and also sometimes when we include everyone, we include no one. And so there is there gets to be a conversation. It's a bigger conversation for the podcast today that when you try and be overly inclusive or when you really try and include everyone, yeah. sometimes you alienate and sometimes you exclude. Yes. So it's okay to be specific. It's okay to say we're only going to welcome dancers who have cognitive disabilities because we do not have an inclusive space and wheelchairs just don't fit. Yeah. That is okay. You know, it doesn't mean that that's going to be the business model forever and there can't be a partnership with another organization that focuses on dance for people within wheelchairs. Yep. We start somewhere and then we expand. Yes, and it's a, that saying, um, if you try to be everything to everyone, you risk being nothing to no one or something similar to exactly. that. Exactly, and if you value everything, you value nothing. Same yep. principle. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely love all that. Um, look, we're sort of getting to the end of our time, Ali. I, I feel like we could probably go on for an hour quite easily or two or three, but oh God, um, yeah. luckily for everybody on the podcast, especially those coming along to Dance Teacher Expo, Ali will be flying home from Canada to join us for Dance Teacher Expo, um, presenting a class. Um, she'll have a stand there in the vendor arena. Did you want to quickly give us a little the, the, the crib notes on what your, your um, talk will be about at Expo? Yeah, I... I want it to be a I want it to be immersive and I want it to be a bit experiential. Yep. Um, there's one thing about just hearing this information kind of lectured to you, and there's yes. another thing getting everyone to really I want people to leave the session feeling first of all thoughtful about their relationship with disability. Uh, second of all, really motivated to take some sort of inspired action towards whatever it is, whether it is just like starting to open up the mind and do a little bit more research or whether it is to start these classes or whether it's to have conversations. And then third, know that there's support out there, that that there is a space where you can come and ask your questions and you can be seen and heard and held in the worry, in the fear. Like it's so okay to feel that way. Yep. Um, and yeah, I just encourage anyone that has any type of intention of running inclusive classes or growing an already established dance program or just tapping into different um, a different side of your teaching 
as well. Like I really encourage younger teachers come and learn f- how to run inclusive classes. That makes yes. you super employable, right? And you oh, put that sure. on your CV, like teachers are going to be like, oh, wow, they run inclusive classes or we can, we can say yes to a, a, a dancer with Down syndrome because this teacher feels confident. Like dancers, like really come into this training because you're going to walk away with a lot of tangible skills as well. Um, I'm just here to build a community. I I really would love to just bring some like, I mean, this is why the expo is, this is the expo is happening. Everyone's like-minded, but just come and introduce yourself, please, please, please don't be shy. I want to meet everyone and everyone. Look guys, from somebody that's sort of just meeting Ali virtually from face to face for the first time, I can guarantee that regardless of the incredible things she's going to say in her session, the, her energy is absolutely infectious and you will enjoy the 50 minutes to an hour you spend with her um, without a doubt. I probably will be trying to make my way across there as well. Um, how can people find you, connect with you um, on socials, websites, things like that? I'll pop these in the show notes as well, Ali. Yeah, so BAM is Buster Move Dance, but on Instagram it's at BAM Dance underscore. It's a blue and green logo. You literally can't miss it. Yeah. I'm Ali uh, on Instagram. You'll see it in the BAM's uh profile bio i'm in there so if you go to bamdance underscore you'll see me i'm all over it uh website www.bustermovedance.com.au always the .com.au i don't (laughs) think i'll ever take the au off because that's where we that's where we're from uh honestly you can't miss it bamdance underscore on Instagram, everything is, everything's there. Amazing. All of this will be in the show notes, guys. And for those that are coming along to Expo, we're less than three weeks out now. Um, make sure you jump on and grab your tickets. And those that are already coming along, definitely head across and say hi to Ali. Introduce yourself. I guarantee you will not regret it. But thanks so much for joining us. Um, it's not too late in the evening your time, but thanks so much for jumping on the podcast, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really grateful. Amazing. Thanks, guys. We will chat to you next Wednesday. 